and welcome to episode 86 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me today, I have a special guest, Chantal Renta. Uh, Chantal, you are in Los Angeles, yes? Yes. Cool. What Whereabouts, by the way? Um, so I live in Koreatown, actually. Nice. I was there the other night for Korean barbecue with some friends, and it was amazing. It's It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. I went to some crazy place that had 3,000 Yelp reviews. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Chantal is uh, a 3L at Southwestern Law School, specializing in tax. She's the president of the Tax Law Society. She's also editor-in-chief of development of Los Angeles Public Interest Law Journal. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about her bio, her path to law school, and all sorts of interesting stuff. Ben is uh, on the road this week, so it's going to be just me and Chantal, at least for now. <laughs> so Chantal, uh, our mutual friend, Nikki, got us in touch because you listened to a recent episode where we were talking about loan forgiveness. And as a tax specialist, you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. So why don't you uh, just lay it on us? Sure. Okay. So there are essentially two major categories of loans, and that is the private loan and then the federal loan. Most students will have federal loans, and when it comes to discharging any of that debt, your past podcast didn't really discuss the tax consequences of it, and so any sort of cancellation of debt is classified as income by the Internal Revenue Code. So essentially what that means is if you're on one of these payment plans and you pay for, let's say, the 2025 years that you're required to pay and the remaining balance of your loan is forgiven, that is actually classified as income for that year and you're responsible to pay taxes on it. So for a law student, I mean, you could be discharging 80 90, $100,000 worth of debt easily with no problem. And so you're talking about not only paying taxes on $100,000, but also paying tax on the income you already earned for the year. Yeah. And I mean, so it could be even more than that, couldn't it? Can, can you end up with one hundred fifty or $200,000 of federal loans? Oh, for sure. I mean, myself alone, I think right now I'm just from law school, I'm easily over the 300000 mark. Okay, and you intend to work in public interest? Yeah, so the long-term goal is to work for the federal government. I've always wanted to work for the Department of Treasury, so okay. it's still public service. doesn't pay that great. <laughs> right, well, yeah. you have to work in public service. You have to also not make that much money, right, in order to qualify for the loan forgiveness programs? There's, se- there's several different loan forgiveness programs. Okay. So I think the one that you're thinking of is the public service loan forgiveness program. And uh-huh. for that is you have to work. There, there's several requirements. So you have to work for essentially a government, which would be the federal, state, tribal, any sort of city government would qualify. Or you have to work for a 501c3. Okay. Or you have to work for an organization that is not 501c3 but essentially provides qualified services. And for that, it would typically be uh, like a public, uh, not a public, excuse me, a private school. Okay. So it's providing essentially education. So that's one of the requirements for that. Then you have to make 120 qualified payments. That's essentially 10 years of payments. Right. You have 
15 days from the due date to make the payment in full, so they give you a little leeway, that only applies to direct loans. So there are different classifications of federal loans. And so you have direct loans, and then you have now what's Perkins loans. So if you have Perkins loans, those actually don't qualify for it. Those can't be forgiven anyway. Okay. They can under a different program, just not under the public service. Okay. So you really have to know going into it what loans you have. Because essentially, when you get a federal loan, you don't really get to pick. It's just kind of, this is what you qualify for. Here's what you're getting. And then it's a bunch of words, you know, a 30-page document. And you're just like, what am I going to do? Of course, I have to sign off on it. I need money for school. So you, yeah. need, to, you need to figure out what loans you're at, you actually have under the federal okay. loan program. But if you have direct loans, you work for a qualified employer, you make the 120 consecutive payments, and then you, are, you have to be full-time, which means 30 hours a week. You can discharge the debt after 10 years, regardless of what you make. It's assuming it's assuming that you don't make that much because you're in public service. I see. Okay, got it. But essentially, you're going to be on an income-based repayment. So regardless of if you're making forty thousand or a hundred thousand, your monthly payments are going to be based on your income. I see. Okay, got it. Got yeah. it. Okay, so that's the hundred and twenty payments. So if you are making a lot of money, miraculously, you get some prestigious, um, high-paid public interest job mm-hmm. if there are such things. <laughs> They're all prestigious, just not high paid. Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay, and and then if you're making a hundred thousand or hundred twenty thousand dollars a year or something, then your income based repayment, your payments will be a lot higher. I see. Okay, so yeah. that's how that works out. Anyway, you probably don't make that much money because you're working in public interest. Mm-hmm. Potentially, you're not even paying the interest on the loan every month if you're an income based repayment. I'm. This is what I like to tell people, and that is the majority, especially in law school, the majority of us don't have 100% subsidized loans, which would mean that we wouldn't accrue interest while in school. Okay. So your loans are accruing interest while in school. Then you get out, you have you know the time frame where you don't have to make any payments, which is usually three months. So you're, you're studying for the bar, taking the bar, you're incurring costs there. Then you get employment, hopefully. <laughs> and then... Once you start making these income-based repayments, most likely the amount that you're repaying is not enough to even cover the interest. So you're essentially just paying down interest. You never even really touch the principal. That's why when it comes to discharging the debt, there's a good chance you're going to be discharging a significant amount of debt. Okay. So then let's talk about that tax year. So you're you're now 10 years into your career, mm-hmm. or I guess 20 or 25 years, depending on which programs we're talking about. Correct. But you're potentially now making a little bit more money, hopefully, maybe, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 10 years down the road. We can, we can hope. Dreams. <laughs> yeah. You have $100,000, let's say, or, or more of debt. Mm-hmm. And it miraculously gets wiped clean, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Except? Except now you need to pay taxes on $100,000. Okay, and that's all going to accrue to that year? Yeah, so whatever year it's discharged. So let's say, well, actually, this would be the first year that people are getting discharged under the public service program because it started in October 2007. Okay. So... If it's discharged this year, which would be, let's say they discharge it November 2017, when that person goes to file their taxes in the spring of 2018, 
they will receive a 1099-C form, which is a cancellation of debt form, and it will have the amount that was discharged on there that they have what they have to include on their taxes as income. Okay, and that's just going to be like regular income for it's just going to you're they're just going to add that to all your other income for the year. Yeah, and it's a, and really when you're working as an employee, you assume that well most of the time taxes is being withheld. Yeah. So you don't so you don't really think about it because your employer is automatically taking the taxes out throughout the year. So just imagine all this income with no taxes withheld. Yeah. So you have to pay it at the end, and that's just federal, and then you have to pay the state. Okay, so it'd be a good plan to potentially move to a state with no state income tax in the year that that's going to happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that'd be a dream, but obviously if you're working someplace for 10 years, you're probably, yeah. probably not going to move to a no income yeah. state. What I actually recommend and what I try to tell people around me, especially at school, is if you know that you're on this plan, any, any sort of repayment plan, regardless of whether it's 10 or 20 years, I recommend opening a savings account and then whatever you can each month, try to put money in there and don't touch it. Yeah, because law students have a lot of extra money they can... Yeah, I mean, even if it's, you know, when you start, even if it's just $5, just try to keep like the mindset of putting money away, regardless of how much it is, just to hold it there until that time comes. Yeah. So what would the, what do we think it would cost then if it's a hundred thousand dollars discharged? Just give people, cause it's federal plus, <laughs> plus state plus you're going to be in a decently high marginal bracket that year. Um, you could be looking at anywhere from 30, 40, $50,000. Okay. So yeah, 30 to 50, depending how much mm -hmm. money you're making. And that's going to be a bill that's due that year, right? It'll be due by April 15th, I guess. So it's due April 15th. You can establish a payment plan with the um, Internal Revenue Service or your state tax board, but then you're talking about accruing interest and you're talking about another whole payment plan. I mean... Okay, so <laughs> these loan repayment programs are obviously uh, helpful to students, mm -hmm. but it's not just a free ride, you're going to end up having to not only make those payments um, while you're on the way there, but then when it gets discharged, you're going to have a big tax bill coming due. Right. And so far, um, the public service loan forgiveness, the one that is up this year for the first time to be discharged, Congress passed a bill, so it is tax exempt when it's discharged, but we have no idea how much longer that's going to exist or how much longer the program itself is going to exist. Oh, this year... This won't happen. This year, this is actually... Right. They, they passed a special bill to, to make it tax-exempt for one year. Um, no. So they actually, for this program, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness, Yeah. Um, under the Internal Revenue Code 108, little f, it's actually excluded from being uh, classified as income. Okay. But who knows how much longer that's going to last. There's been talks about getting rid of the program in its entirety. Right. So we'll... We'll have to just wait and see. Right. And so if those programs get canceled, students who are in law school, assuming that they're going to be able to take advantage of that program? Yeah, we have no we have no idea. People, I've heard several other students saying, well, I'm hoping I get grandfathered. And I'm like, I don't think that's a reality. I think if they cancel the program, it doesn't matter if you've made 110 qualified payments or if you're still in law school. I think it's going to be completely canceled. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So the plan then, I mean, the only reasonable plan is you need to basically assume that you're going to be repaying all of this money. Yeah, you'll essentially be repaying a vast majority of it. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so that's super uh, uplifting, I'm sure, for all of the listeners. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to start my day. <laughs> well, this is your reality. I mean, this is nothing yeah. new for you, right? You, you're you the one that, you, when you see those statements, if you do look at those statements, I mean, you've been seeing the uh, $200,000 plus on the bottom line for a while now. So yeah, you're, uh, you're used to it. Cool. Let's, uh, so let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, thank you. Thank you very much, by the way, for that. Yeah, no say. problem. I mean, that is really important. People, you know, we've talked about it on the show a million times, but we're just looking to get people to have their eyes open when they jump into law school and uh, not make the same bad law school mistakes. Uh, well, that I made for sure. Yeah, that I made. Please don't make my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is interesting now. We've got a, um, I mean, you're doing well at Southwestern, right? Yeah, I do pretty well. <clears throat> okay, so you're doing well, but you're still talking about making a mistake. Why, why do you think this is a mistake? I mean, I think it really, really going into law school, I, I had an idea of, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I don't think I really had an idea of what type of law I wanted to practice. Okay. And so finally, you know, I was just like, yeah, I used to play drums in a technical death metal band, so entertainment law, who knows what that is. Right. Yeah, that's totally for me, and I think I got caught up in it, and so I decided to come to this school, because they're really well known for entertainment law, and then I get here and I'm like, no, it's kind of made up, <laughs> like, what is entertainment law? It's just kind of an umbrella term for a whole bunch of other different areas of law, and I end up getting involved in tax, and, and now I'm at a school that doesn't really have a strong tax program. Okay. So it's like I have to go another year afterwards. So I'm actually in the middle of applying for my tax LLMs. So now I have another year of school. Ah, you're going to do an LLM. I see. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Um, so I've been applying to a few places. I just applied to Georgetown, and then I'm going to apply to NYU and Florida. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Okay, cool. I'm just going to like kind of go through your LinkedIn profile here and give people a sense of who you are, and we can talk about how you ended up in law school. Okay. Well, let's. this is very interesting if we talk about your bachelor's degree. Yeah. <laughs> Florida Atlantic University. Yeah. It's, A, it also stands for find another university. <laughs> okay. How come? Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those, you know, state schools that I don't even know why it's there. I mean, I, it's... I don't It was a mess. <laughs> okay. And you did a bachelor's in Chinese studies. Yeah. <laughs> what, how'd, how'd that happen? So just to go back a little further, um, when I was in high school, I had originally come from another country that had more advanced education. Okay. And so when I was in high school, they stopped allowing people to graduate early or to even get moved up because they felt that it made people socially awkward. Okay. I mean, like, I could be any more socially awkward. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I was like, that's your defense? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so the state of Florida had a program, and that was if you finished two years of high school and you met certain requirements, you could leave high school, and then you would go to a local college, and they would pay for your first two-year degree. 
and that would count towards your last two years of high school at the same time. Okay. So I did that, and while I was there, they were just like, what do you want to do? I was like, you know, I always wanted to be a medical examiner. <laughs> okay. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go pre-med. Like, that's perfect. I don't have to talk to really anyone because they're dead. And I think I'd be okay at it. And so I had done the pre-med thing and realized I didn't want to do it. And so at the end of the two years, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with the last two years of my four-year degree. And so I took some time off. And then when I came back, I had an interest in history and I wanted to do something that was going to be challenging. And I've always heard that Chinese was the hardest language. And so I went for it and it worked out. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That is amazing. Was it difficult? Actually, it was It was a lot easier than I thought it would be. So grammatically, the language is much easier, I think, than English because there's really no past or future tense. It's all present tense. Okay. So it doesn't really, you just say, you know, on Wednesday I threw a ball. Well, who cares if it was last Wednesday, this Wednesday, or next Wednesday? You know, okay. you threw a ball on a Wednesday. There we go. Um, so to me, I thought grammatically it was easier. Obviously, the characters were hard and it required intense memorization. But other than that, I really, really enjoyed it. And I spent some time in China and I really loved it. And I still love it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay. And then... At the same time, I guess, you were already working as an accountant. Is that right? Yeah. So I've done accounting work for, I guess, maybe nine or eight or nine years so far. Okay. Yeah. How'd you get started in that? Uh, one of my friends was working at this printing company, and they said, hey, we need somebody to do billing. Would you be interested? I showed up for the interview, and I got the job. And then it kind of just work like that. I mean, I'm pretty good at numbers and I enjoy it. And I guess just another thing that's very bizarre that I'm into. <laughs> okay. And you're still doing that? Like you, you have like freelance clients? Is that the deal? Yeah. So I still do it. Essentially now, right, I'm doing it mostly for friends for free and it's more consulting work. Um, I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and starting their own businesses and trying to figure out how to have their own system for their companies and what they need to be doing in terms of accounting for revenue and expenses and all that yep. stuff. So, yeah. Cool. And are you still working on the CPA exam or did you decide not to do that? So, yeah. So I'm still working on it. I actually applied after my 1L year of law school with the California Board of Accountancy to take the CPA exam. And so the goal was to take it summer between my 1L and 2L year. And then they sent me back this paper saying I was approved, but the problem was they sent me somebody else's paperwork <laughs> that had, like, their social security and all their schooling and everywhere that they've lived. Oh. And so I called them. I was like, does anybody have my paperwork? They're like, no, of course not. I'm like, are you sure? Because I have no idea. <laughs> I had to look this person up on Facebook and tell them, hey, I noticed you applied for the CPA exam. They're like, who are you and how do you know? I was like, because I have all your paperwork. <laughs> oh, wow. our names weren't even close so I decided to kind of postpone it for a few just because I was a little unsure of where my information was okay. so we'll see what happens um, I'm just going to wait and see where I end up working because it's a state based exam much like the bar So, gotcha gotcha. 
Wow. All right. So um, you finished up the bachelor's in Chinese studies in 2011. You're working uh, part-time freelance slash for free uh, as, a, as an accountant uh, slash consultant. How does that lead toward law school? So, I mean, if you would have told me I was going to be in law school when I was younger, I probably would have laughed. It's yeah. not something I ever thought I was going to do. At the time when I thought about law school, I was living in the mid-Atlantic region, sort of near D.C. Okay. And I became more aware, I guess, of sort of the injustices that were going on. And then I kind of became involved in sort of like protest. And so that really piqued my interest in going to law school. Then I started looking into it and I had no idea what I was getting into. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah, you and half the people that go to law school yeah. probably have no idea what they're getting themselves into. Um, let's talk about what did you do when you decided you wanted to go to law school? How, how did you attack the LSAT and law school admissions? I'm so glad you asked me about the LSAT. So okay. <laughs> I did not take an LSAT prep. I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. I knew the LSAT was required as an admissions exam, I had no idea what it was. I just kind of thought, oh, it's probably like the SATs. You know, they test a few skills, you go in there, you fill it out. So the first time I took the LSAT, I had no idea what it was. And then I get in there and there's all these, you know, there's a wooden house in the third spot with a tin, who has a tin roof, what order is Will yeah. living in? I'm like, what the hell? First, who's Will? Yeah, <laughs> and, right. and second, why do I care? you know, which house is where. So that didn't go too well. And then the second time I took it, I actually prepared for it. But I took it in July in the Mid-Atlantic region, and there was a derecho. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a very violent storm. Okay. And a tornado touched down, and a flash flood destroyed the room I was in. And at that point, I should have taken it as a sign to not continue on. Yeah. (laughs) But I was just like, oh, here we go. This is it. Last time I took it. <laughs> okay, cool. And then you applied right away. So you took the summer. L- that would have been a June LSAT. Yeah, June. July, Sorry, yeah, June. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, and then you applied that fall, I guess? Yeah, so at that point, I mean, my LSAT score is only a 149. Okay. I mean, it's not very good, but at that point I was like, it is what, like I'm not going back to take it. So it is what it is. I just have to suck it up and deal with it. And, you know, and I also didn't realize the importance of an LSAT score. Yeah. And so I applied that fall, and then I started the following fall. Right. Okay. How many schools did you apply to? I applied to, I think, about seven. Okay. And I got into all except for one. Okay. So I did okay in there. Were you applying only in Southern California, or were you applying all over the place? I applied all over. Okay. Yeah. So how did Southwestern get on the list? So, as I mentioned earlier, um, I kind of thought about this idea of being an entertainment lawyer. Right, okay. And so they're considered one of the top, I don't know if they are the top, but they're usually in between like one and two for entertainment law. If there is such a thing as entertainment law. If I don't even think there's a thing. It's just it's just being it's what do you do? I'm a contract lawyer. I just so happen to work for an entertainment company. Yeah. Like there's there's no such thing. 
It's a lot. Yeah, that's funny. And I have to re-recommend to the listeners, if you haven't uh, read Paul Campos's book, Don't Go to Law School Unless, you really <laughs> should read it because he's a law professor who just brutally slams um, all of these special programs. And I yeah. think he specifically mentions entertainment law as, you know, what is that actually? And can you can you please tell me, yeah. you know, show me, introduce me please to an entertainment lawyer because I would love to know who that is. I mean, there are actors who play lawyers on television. Yeah. But I don't know that there are that many lawyers who are what you would really call entertainment lawyers. So, uh, you know, when you see a school like Southwestern, then I'm, I'm imagining that they must have had like a glossy brochure. Oh, yeah. Touting their, their world-class entertainment law program. Yeah, they do. They, I mean, it's like you can see it on their website. They have an, an awards gala for it for alumni. They have it's a whole bunch of things. The majority of the electives they offer are geared towards entertainment. Okay. So it's really difficult for I think for anyone that's not really trying to do you know chase this mystical dragon of entertainment law to really find substantive law in an area that would probably be useful. Okay, interesting. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm not like really picking on Southwestern specifically here because I think many, many schools all across the country are doing this exact same thing with, you know, hey, I'm in mm-hmm. Portland. We're popular for flannel shirts. Uh, we, you know, fl- yeah. Flannel shirt law specialty. I don't know. Just... It seems like that's what all of these kind of lower-ranked law mm-hmm. schools are trying. Of course, it makes sense, right? It's like I'm not, I'm not blaming them really, but I would just tell students to remember that law school is law school is law school, and there just aren't that really many different types of lawyers. There's, <laughs> you have to think about practically what you're going to be doing for work when you get out of law school. Yeah. And there's not a lot of job postings out there for hey, I need to hire an entertainment lawyer. Yeah, I've never seen one. It's usually I need someone who is an expert in copyright, <laughs> needs right. someone who's an expert in tax, contract. I'm like, so just call it like it is. You're just going to be a lawyer. It's not, right. it's not tie a I understand why they have to do that. You know, yeah. you need to get bodies into the seat. It's a yeah. business. Yeah. It, it's still a school, but it is, at the end of the day, there are costs that have to be met. Yeah. And they need to keep going. And so I understand that. But I just, I think if I was to look back, I would have just told myself, like, maybe you should do some more research. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do some more research. Find out what's really going on. Yeah. Well, you oh. and me and... And everyone. And, oh. Yeah. I just, there's so many countless people. I'm sure in your cohort at Southwestern right now, the, the, your fellow 3Ls must have similar stories. Yeah, for sure. I think there's I think there's a lot of people, though. I can't really speak for all law schools. I can only speak, you know, for the one that I've attended. Sure. I think there are a lot of people who go to law school because they've seen it highly dramatized, you know, whether it be in film or television or whatever. And they think, yeah, I want to be a lawyer and I'm going to make all this money and it's just going to be like another undergrad experience. And it's like, no, you get here. And it's like, no, you need to read, you need to write. Like, you, you need to do work. Oh, yeah. These, these are skills that you have to... If you don't like reading or writing, I don't understand why you're picking a profession that is based on reading and writing. 
Wow. I yeah. wish you would, yeah, say that again. I mean, yeah. I can't say that possibly enough. Yeah. Don't, if you I, don't want to read or write, do not become a lawyer. <laughs> good. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I give my, you know, LSAT books to my students on the first night. Um, and some of them are, are big yeah. and uh, heavy. And it's, uh, people are like, wait, what? And, and it's just sort of like, well, wait a minute now. This is so much less reading than you're going to have in your first semester of your 1L year. This is not even close to what law school reading yeah. is going to look like. So if you're the type of person who's intimidated by big books, if you're intimidated by words, if you don't consider yourself a reader, I don't yeah. know that this is a good plan for you. What you should do is just show them the Chemerinsky constitutional law book. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Just hold it up. Well, I might hurt myself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, that would be a good one actually. Yeah. Like I was making a joke about that. I think it was the last episode. I was making a joke about getting all the stack of books just for the one L like here's your stack of books. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy it. Front cover to back cover. Do you have one of those um, wheeled things to, to cart your books around? So I actually am pretty lucky that I live literally on campus. So they have oh, housing. They built housing. Nice. And so I can just run back and forth to the building if I need to. Cool. So you don't have to have one of those dorky wheeled things to cart No. Your... I'm not, I wouldn't be skillful with it. It would just... Actually, <laughs> you know what? I kind of should get one and just ram it into people. Just that really annoy me. Like, oh, sorry. Didn't see you there. I didn't see that you were wearing open-toed shoes today, yeah. and uh, no, I'm so sorry for running over. Yeah, here. especially when they take the elevator to the second floor, you know, and you're trying to get to floor six, and you got two minutes to go, and everyone's hitting every button. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, the little law school slights. <laughs> cool. Wow. So, all right. So, let's talk about. 1L year. How, how did you find your 1L year at school? Um, it was super intimidating. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, for me, I've always been, believe it or not, a very shy person. So I don't really like meeting. I don't, well, one, I don't really like people in general. But <laughs> let alone now, you know, you're kind of put with this group of people because I don't know how they do it at other law schools. But for us, our 1L class was split into three sections. And it's kind of like for the first entire year, you're with this entire group of people. Sure. How many people in your section? I think we started out with about 95. 95. Okay. Yeah. And you just, you, you kind of like parade from class to class together, right? All yeah. 95 of you. Every single day. So it's Monday through Friday. You're, I mean, not all day, but you're just kind of stuck with the same people. It's the same damn questions over and over again every class. Yeah. You know, the same hypos, just slightly changed. And so you're just with all these people, and it it was pretty chaotic. And I had I don't think I really understood fully what I was getting myself into. Right. And that, you know, I was so used to other courses, especially in undergrad, it was not just based on one exam. Yeah. So there were multiple components where I could judge whether or not I was learning. And I think at the end of the semester, it was kind of like I thought I was learning, but I wasn't. I wonder if they do that partially to keep people from dropping out. Like if they gave if they gave more midterms, you know, like a month into class if you had like a midterm mm -hmm. exam. 
people might find out how shitty they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and just quit. I don't know. They actually changed it, though, since I've been here. Okay. So my 1L year, we didn't... We had, we had a practice midterm that was not graded. So it was just kind of like just to give you a feel for what okay. an actual final exam is going to be like. Okay. And it was sort of like, we're going to grade each other's exams. Well, I mean, right. they don't know what the hell they're doing either, no, you know? of course not. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I mean, it was okay, but they've changed it since then, and now they actually do have graded midterms. Okay. And so it's a way for, I, I guess, essentially for students to understand – one, to try to push them to keep on track the whole semester, and two, I think a way to, like, kind of hit people in the face, like, hey, you're not up to par. So what is it, one midterm? Yeah, one midterm. For 10% of your grade or 15% of your grade or something like that? I'm not really sure what the percent is. I know in my 2L year, I did have a graded midterm in evidence, Okay. and that was 25% of our grade. Okay. So yeah. it was a pretty decent chunk if you didn't okay. do well. Yeah. Okay. So would you consider this to be a, a positive change then? I don't really know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know how much a midterm is really going to do. I, I don't even know how well exams really do. It, you could be somebody who understands the substantive law and just be a poor test taker. You know, especially on a law school exam. I think it's a totally different. It's really depends on the professor depends on strengths and weaknesses. I think you can prepare all you want, and really you need to know how to take a test. Yeah, and yeah. you have to prepare specifically for that professor's yeah. exam, right? You have to know what they're going to test, how they're going to test it, and mm -hmm. what they're looking for. Because even though it's the same format of just an essay, an essay final, mm -hmm. which it is in almost every law school class, the professor themselves might be looking for different things. So you want to figure out a way that you can get their old exams and talk to people who have taken their class. And Yeah, I mean, each professor has a different way that they want their essay done. Different right. formats. You could be someone who's like, I want HIRAC, which is Heading, Issue, Rule, Analysis, Conclusion. Someone's like, I just want IRAC. Someone's like, I don't care what you do, just make sure it's organized. Okay. So it's like you have all these different varying... Yeah. Well, and then when they're doing the grading, I mean, I just, I imagine them, I, they did it over your first semester grades, like they're doing this over the holiday break, like Christmas, yeah. December break, right? Mm -hmm. And I just imagine them sitting there with a stack of 95 essays. Each of these essays is like 10 or 20 pages long. Yeah. And they're sitting there... You know, how much time do you think they're looking at each one of those ninety-five essays? I have, I have no idea. I, I think it all. I think that depends really on the professor too, because I'll get some exams back that have a lot of detailed comments. Okay. And those are really helpful because I, I mean, if you go through your exam, so I like right. to see where like I missed stuff, yeah. and it helps me. You know, it's like, oh, now I know. Don't forget this. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get really detailed comments and I, I'm like, oh, now I know why it took so long to get our grade back. Like, I appreciate yeah. it. And other yeah. times I'll get an exam back that has nothing on it. Yeah, just check marks or something like that. If, if that. Thing. Yeah. Just a grade. Yeah, it's just a random number. Not even the grade. A random number written on the top page. Right. It's like there's no cut sheet. It's like, okay, so where are the points? Right. Like, I don't, where did I lose points? <laughs> yeah. And then you got... There's just no way to learn from it. It's just no. like, oh, well, that's a B. Okay. And the thing is, I go back, 
it's like, what do I do with it? Go back to the professor? They probably don't even know what I miss. Like, they're going to have to reread it. Well, of course they would, yeah. yeah. I, I always picture them, you know, it's over, like, the holidays. I always picture them with, like, their third glass of wine and this giant stack of exams, and they're just kind of... Yeah. I mean, if I was a professor, through. I would have a pillow next to me and just have, you know, 30 seconds of uninterrupted screaming into it every five exams. <laughs> So, uh, so how did you do then on your very first batch of exam? I think you, it sounds like you didn't do that great on your very first semester. So first semester, I was really well engaged in class. I thought I knew everything. And then I get exam, I get, you know, it takes a, it takes a few weeks. So even when you start the spring semester, it's like two weeks into the spring semester, you actually get your grades. Right. So I was feeling good except for property. And then I get my grades back, and I'm like, oh, shit. I got two – I mean, I did pretty well overall in comparison to a lot of other people, but I got two C-pluses, and I'm like, I don't even know how to handle getting a C-plus. Like, I got straight A's in Chinese, so I'm like, you know, I didn't know how to connect the dots. But I think it was a really good learning lesson for me, and it was just like, okay, I messed up. I need to figure out, like, what my weaknesses are now and fast. And I need to work on it, and it just made me work harder and push harder, and it never happened again. Interesting. Okay, so you're you're probably below the middle of a class, I would guess, with two C pluses on your first semester, and then your second mm-hmm. semester, you, you just like immediately turned it around. Yeah, the second semester, it was kind of like once I got those grades, and it was pretty upsetting. It was just kind of like I can't, you know, what am I gonna do? Just give up. Right. Like I, I'm at this school now. The chance for like the chance to transfer is basically void at this point. Yep. And it's like, all right, so I need to do the best I can while I'm here. And so yeah. it was just pushing myself and really realizing how I need to study. And it was I was studying all the time, but I don't think I was studying smart. And I don't think I was really going over important stuff. And another thing that I regret not doing is doing as many practice exams as possible. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's my standard yeah. one piece of advice mm-hmm. for law school. I mean, other than just don't go to law school. Yeah. But the, the other <laughs> one is if you are going to go to law school, you need to start studying those exams like just immediately. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does make a difference. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what's the point of me doing a practice exam? I don't really know the law. Like, I don't have time to study right now. It's like, it's not about you can do it with your outline or with notes. It's about understanding how to spot the issue and in what order you're going to actually write it. So you don't have to think about it when you're on the actual final exam. It saves me so much time. Yeah, on the actual final, <laughs> yeah. you should be writing essays that you've already written before, basically. Yeah. And just sort of changing around some of the facts. Exactly. Cool. So you did that in your second semester, and then your grades immediately turned around? Yeah, they immediately turned around. So it was pretty... I, I mean, I did pretty well... I think, I can't even honestly think what I got, but I know I got an A and A minus, and I think mostly B pluses. So it was pretty significant. Yeah, snapped Uh right back. Okay. And then what'd you do your first summer? The first summer I actually went to Argentina. Wow. So I went to Buenos Aires for the summer. I know, don't do a study abroad in law school. Everyone says it. But I did that, and... I wanted to go because uh, they had an international business transactions class, and the professor who was teaching it happens to be an expert 
on mergers and acquisitions in Argentina. Okay. And that was pretty important to me because it's a country that has a lot of defenses put up, which makes it extremely hard to access for corporations. Okay. And so I kind of wanted to get into his insight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you had a, a good experience with your study abroad. Yeah, I did. I've been, I've been there before. I grew up across the Rio de Plata and Montevideo. So it was basically oh. like being home. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> that program was not cheap, I imagine. Actually, it was insanely cheap. Oh. Versus paying per credit to stay at Southwestern. If I were to take the same amount of credits, I think it was going to be somewhere around $7,000. Okay. And then to go to Argentina, the program cost about, I think it was around 4500 with okay. room and board. Included? Yeah. I, oh, stayed, wow. I stayed with the host family, which was fine. They were great. Okay, cool. And you got credits uh, that counted toward your, just whatever your credits requirement is at Southwestern. Yeah. Does everyone pay per credit at Southwestern? So during the summer, you pay per credit. Oh, um, okay. In fall and spring, it's a set price. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then did you take less credits in your 2L, 3L years because you had those credits from the summer? So my 2L year, I took less credits. I did 13 credits per okay. semester. And taking less credits allows you to potentially get better grades because you're not spread quite as thin? Yeah, I think it, it frees up some time because yeah. you're not sitting in class. And I think it does allow you a little bit of an advantage, but I think it also depends on what type of credits you're taking. Yeah. You know, okay. I took bankruptcy and right. tax at the same time and then constitutional law and business associations. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm taking only four classes, but you know, I'm also learning all of title 11. <laughs> so, okay. so it depends. I'm noticing here that you've also got just a ton of activities <laughs> listed here which ones of those would you like to talk about yeah i i mean i participate a lot in different student organizations and participate a lot in community service that was something that was really important to me going into law school was yeah. public service even with the whole entertainment thing i've always just felt you know regardless of anything in my life i always feel like i'm privileged because i'm in law school yeah. You know, and a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And so that was really important to me. And so I just kept doing it throughout all law schools to try to do as much public service and as much charity work as possible. Yeah. See, here I was thinking that you were going to be all cynical because of Nikki's introduction. But <laughs> that is nice that you're recognizing that, you know, compared to everyone else in the world. Yeah. You are pretty well off. That's nice. You want to talk about the Public Interest Law Journal? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's an interesting, it's a little bit different. It's not a credit based journal. So I'm on the journal here at my school. So I'm on okay. the journal of international law, which is essentially you have to do the write on competition and then you wait and then you get accepted and then it's for credit. Okay. The Los Angeles public interest law journal is not for credit. It's more like a student organization. However, it's a student organization that encompasses not just Southwestern, but every Los Angeles based law school. Okay. And so we meet together on weekends, not every weekend, but as much as we can. And then we collect articles based on a topic that we pick each year. And it's something that's focused on Los Angeles County in particular. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And then we do a symposium that focuses on those issues and we publish a journal every year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you're, you're now editor? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So we've got that journal. We've got the International Law Journal at Southwestern. Mm-hmm. You're president of the Tax Law Society. How, what does that entail? So essentially that just entails running the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Clinic, which is VITA, and that's a program that's actually developed through the Department of the Treasury. It's been around for about 40 years now, and we provide free income tax preparation to people in the community that meet certain requirements, which the majority of people in Los Angeles actually probably qualify for. And so I run that site every single spring and I'm doing it right now actually on Fridays and Saturdays and it's basically I have to contact the I'm the only person who really runs the whole show this year so I have to deal with the IRS deal with the school deal with all the clients setting up everything and getting volunteers and running the whole site (laughs) it sounds like a lot it's a lot but it's honestly it's worth it yeah yeah I mean, if you don't want to do that amount of work, then you're not really a lawyer anyway, right? Yeah. I feel like it's just preparing me for, in practice, you know, there's going to be a lot of crunch times, and you're going to need to know how to buckle down and, you know, sit for 16 hours and get get shit done. Right. What are you guys up to with Outlaw? (laughs) Outlaw is the most fabulous student organization. Yeah, it was when I was at Hastings (laughs) as well. Yeah. We used to be just sort of like a social organization when I started at Southwestern, which was more like going to happy hours. Yep. It's fine. I mean, it was a great way to network with other outlaw students who attend other law schools in the area and kind of just see like what it's like for them on campus. For us here, I mean, you know, Southwestern is really diverse, but I think that we still kind of face some homophobia. Uh You know, I hear things all the time like outlaw. That's a funny name. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, hello, it's because we're out. Like, you know, I don't, like, you want us to walk around with a rainbow flag? Like, there's only so, there's only so, so butch I can be at one time, you know? God. <laughs> and there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, just in general about gender and sexuality and, you know, people automatically assume things about you. And so it was just, I think, really important for this board to be more active on campus okay. and have activities that are actually putting LGBTQ rights and issues on the front page and also to give back to the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Okay. And so um, last semester, you know, following the election and everything that happened, yeah. the LGBT Center here provides a lot of free legal services and medical services and everything for the community. And so it was really important for us to just, you know, try to fill some gaps for them so they don't have to spend money. And so we did a clothing drive for professional clothing Okay. because they have, cool. they have a closet that allows LGBTQ homeless youth to come and get clothing so they can go to job interviews. Wow. And this semester we're doing a toiletry drive and actually I'm, at, I'm going there after this to actually drop off all the toiletries we collected. So it was a way to kind of, you know, put LGBTQ people out there and to also kind of get non-LGBTQ students at our school involved. Like, these are issues. Like, even if it just means dropping off a shirt in a box yeah, or, you know, dropping off some toothbrushes in a box, it's like, you know, we 
Like, there's some serious issues. I understand how fortunate I am. I have both my parents in my life and my family, and I'm here. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you been successful getting straight folks involved? Yeah, I think I think we've been pretty successful. I mean, I don't know if they're if they really know they're involved. I just think they know that there's a box there for them to put their stuff they don't want in. <laughs> but you know, hey, I'll take it. Yeah, that's a step you know? in the right direction. It says outlaw on it, so whether they Google it or not, that's their problem. It's called due diligence. You know. <laughs> do you have like members though? Yeah, we do. So there is. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't know what a significant amount would constitute a law school of openly out people. Yeah. But just in terms of looking at the statistics, I'd say we have a decent amount of students who are either out or allies. I just think the issue is kind of identifying to the rest of the community, you know, not to make presumptions about okay. someone's sexuality or gender. Because I'll hear stuff all the time. It's like, oh, you know, such and such. They're gay, right? I'm like, first, you shouldn't ask me to out somebody. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's one. And two, you shouldn't just assume that someone's gay just because they happen to like someone of the same gender. They could be bisexual. Maybe they don't identify with that gender. You should just ask them. Yeah. It's that simple. It's, re it's really not a difficult question. It's just, so, you know, what's your story? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, throw it out there. Cool. You want to talk about the American Constitution Society? Yeah. So we're actually part of the National American Constitution Society. Okay. They're the progressive voice on campus. So there's the Federalist Society, which is more libertarian-based. And they've always had kind of sort of this dominant presence on campus. Okay. And, I mean, that's fine. I think everyone's entitled to their views just because we have different views doesn't mean I don't respect you. I just think, you know, for us it was important to have a progressive voice on campus. And it's been here for a few years. It just wasn't really, you know, out there doing its own thing. It was always doing kind of events in conjunction with Federalist Society. Okay. So it was always just sort of like these, another death penalty debate, another debate about, it's like, okay, that's fine, but like, let's just hold like a super progressive event. Yeah. Like, let's just, you know, hit people in the face with it. And so that's really what we've been doing this year. And we actually just held a panel on the Muslim ban. Okay. And that was pretty dope. Um, we actually recorded it, so there's a link. And I got my first chance at moderating. I don't think I was that good, but, you know, I may do with whatever the hell I could at that point. But cool. it was, you know, it was just a way to put issues out there and kind of put, a you know, the progressive view out there. And if people want to listen to it, they can come. We serve food. So if you come to eat, I don't really care. Just come, sit down, listen, be engaged, and find out what's going on and how you can get involved. Cool. So we can, um, is it okay if we share that link on our website? For yeah, the show? go for okay. it. Awesome. I'll get that from you yeah. after the show. We'll post that. Great. So you said today that you, today, you registered for the bar exams, I think? <laughs> I did at, at 12.01 a.m. Wow. <laughs> Stayed up for it. Um, <laughs> it's a little nerve-wracking, but I already have a problem with it. When we registered, it said three-day bar. I just need to be confirmed that it's two-day now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Who do I have to send an email to? <laughs> It's it's a little interesting because you you register for it, and I think it's also a misconception. It's like, oh, I register, you know, first so I can get my site, and it's like, no, you're just kind of making suggestions to them at what site you'd like to take it at, yeah. and they'll kind of figure it out for you. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with it. Cool. You have to uh, 
take the MPRE or did you already do that? So I did that one all year. Oh, actually. wow. Yeah, I did it one all year and I passed with no problem. Okay, wow. I yeah. think that's like the only multiple choice exam I ever failed. It was MPRE. Yeah. You know, I at the time our school was partnered with Barbary for my one all year. Uh-huh. And they had this video for legal profession MPRE taught by Erwin um, Chemerinsky. Oh, okay. And that's what I watched and filled out the outline, and that's kind of how I prepared for it. And I thought he did a really great job of preparing people. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I, got, I had just gotten an A in my professional responsibility class, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, no problem. I yeah. don't have to prepare for this at all and go in and fail it. Yeah, yeah and legal profession had nothing to do with what you took on the MPRE. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, you know what? I missed your second summer. What did you do your second summer? So my second summer, I was here at Southwestern and I wanted to take more credits. So I wanted to get out of the way, um, constitutional criminal procedure, so uh-huh. some requirements. And then I also want to get out of the way, um, sales cause it's test on the bar. So I did that and those were offered at night. And so during the day I kind of just stuck to volunteering. I tend to just volunteer more than actual, you know, internship. So just volunteer with legal organizations in the LA area. And so that's okay. what I did. It was a very interesting summer. What's your uh, job prospect going to look like? Um, you know, I don't... It's really hard to say because I, I know plenty... Of, so, you know, I go to a, obviously an unranked school. It was last ranked in 2013. And so there's this whole thing like, oh, you're definitely not going to get a job. But I know plenty of people that I go to school with who already have jobs lined up. Yeah. So I think it's more about networking and, you know, putting in that work while you're in school. For me, I think I'm going to be okay. I don't really have any worries about it. I haven't really looked because I want to do my tax LLM. And so I've kind of, you know, perused around to see what's out there and tax is pretty okay. And, yeah. and I have the accounting background and yeah. the Chinese, so I've, uh, I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem likely that a President Trump is going to dramatically simplify the tax code, right? No, he's actually, God, it's a mess. They actually want to change the corporate tax code. They are already proposing a mass overhaul of it, which would completely change the entire system. And that's, of course, in- incompatible with a lot of the tax treaties we've already signed. And so it's going to be a complete and utter disaster piece. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Point, point is, there's always going to be increasing complexity, I would imagine, mm-hmm. with taxation. Yep. Tax is highly politicized. It's always changing. You know, they, it, you'll see a bill that's being passed. It's like something for health care. And then all of a sudden you look and you're like, why is there a foreign tax credit thing being passed in here? What is going on? They pass it in random stuff. It doesn't relate back to anything with no regard. And it's just, it's a, I mean, as is, it's a complete disaster piece. So I, I look forward to it. Yeah, I took a couple tax classes <laughs> yeah. at Hastings and it was just insane. I mean, if you show somebody that book of just the regs, it's outrageous. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, you are a special type in that case, yeah. uh, which is good. I mean, you need to be, right? It needs to be your special interest, and um, yeah. I think in that case, you will thrive. So that's awesome. So it's a it's a happy ending. Uh, you know, no, 
but it's it's an ending. <laughs> you know. <laughs> if if you had it to do over again, would you go to law school? If I had to do over again, yeah, I'd go to law school. And honestly, if I had to do over again, I I would go to Southwestern still. Okay. I think regardless of what law school you go to, you're going to have a love-hate relationship with it. Like I said, I wanted to go to a school that had, you know, a commitment to public service. I also wanted to go to a school that had, you know, strong diversity. And Southwestern is always, I, I don't even know why they rank diversity. It's like, congratulations, you got a gold sticker for being decent. Yeah. They, they have, you know, a good track record with diversity. You know, they were graduating women and people of color before segregation was even out of public schools. So that was something that was really important to me. And, you know, I have some really great professors that I think are definitely, you know, definitely impacted my life and they're going to impact my career. You know, it is what it is. And I'm, I don't think I would have been, you know, happier at another school. And I don't think I would have been, you know more upset in another school so it worked out so it is a happy ending there's see i don't i don't like the word happy ending for me <laughs> you know i mean there's there's a lot of massage parlors near me and it's a very <laughs> uncomfortable feeling <laughs> uh awesome okay um how to uh well if you can, you can remain anonymous if you would like to, but you don't seem like the type of person that really wants to be anonymous. If I have a listener who would like to learn more about Southwestern or tax law or any of the stuff you're mm-hmm. up to, is there a way that people can reach out to you? God, I knew this was going to be asked. I should have made like a page or something, but I didn't because somebody had already taken the tax queen handle. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, bastards. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to reach out, I guess the kids still use Instagram these days. So you can, I guess, follow me on Instagram. Uh, Usually my pictures are of gross stuff in Koreatown. Okay. And um, it's Chantal Cherie. So it's C-H-A-N-T-A-L and C-H-E-R-I. Just first Uh, and middle. On Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, you can follow me there. You don't want to follow my Facebook. It's just, you know, sharing of political stuff and just like why so cool well they'll find you on instagram for the yeah. fun stuff first and then yeah. maybe you can start talking politics yeah. after that anything else that i left out that you were hoping to rant about on the show today the best like the best advice i have for someone that wants to go to law school is really think about what you're getting into you know what type of law you not, not essentially what area of law but know like if you want to work at a big law firm or if you want to work for government or public interest, because that should really influence what school you're going to go to. Because if you want to work at big law, I mean, Southwestern's not for you. You're not going to get a big law job coming out of it. But if you want to work yeah. at public interest, you're not going to really have a problem. Right. I think it's just really important to, you know, do your research. And make sure you love to read and write. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a good place, yeah. I think, to, to end it. I mean... Really, if people end up walking away from this because they, they, you know, oh, but I don't like reading books. Yeah, I mean, pick pick a different career profession. Law school isn't for you if you don't like reading books. Being a lawyer is not for you. You, yeah. you can't walk in and tell a judge or tell a client, well, I didn't really want to read to learn that area for you, so I'm just going to have to take what I know. It was just so thick. There was yeah. so much of it. I just didn't have the time. I just yeah. couldn't do it. I know. Yeah. Probably not going to fly, huh? Yeah, we hear all the time from students, I pay 50 k a year to go here. I shouldn't have to read. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Wow. <laughs> I love it. All right, Chantal Renta, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can tweet me at nfox. You can tweet the show at thinkinglsat. You can email both Ben and me, help at thinkinglsat.com. Please check out our websites. Mine is foxlsat.com and Ben's is strategyprep.com. Please uh, email us your questions and we will talk to you soon. Thanks.